0: And there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdom of the heavens has come near." Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his God was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, rumblings, fields of thunder, and earthquake in the I don't know how this works. Um, Oh, there he is. Uh, Surprise, this isn't Jason uh, about to preach tonight. This is not normal for me to be up here. Uh, But welcome to RUF. My name, for those of you who I don't know, I'm Graham Martin. I'm on staff with RUF. And we're thrilled that you're here tonight. Uh, Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, we want you to feel welcome here. We want this to be a safe place and an honest place for you, really for whatever you're going through, whether that's in your mind, in your heart, Uh, in real life. If you haven't, if you don't know anyone here and you just found yourself in Paris Yates tonight, please um, come find me or Jason or Caroline. We're all on staff. Uh, Come find us after this. We'd love to get a chance uh, just to meet you and and talk to you. Um, This is a really bizarre and really difficult passage tonight. Uh, It's not an accident that I'm up here preaching. Jason just couldn't handle this passage, so... (laughs) I you know, found myself uh, up here, uh, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but seriously, this is, this is hard. Um, I don't want you to hear these words that were read out of Revelation and think that this is uh, a turn or burn passage, um, nor that this sermon is a turn or burn sermon. Um, these are not light things. These are really heavy and hard things that are being talked about. Uh, but this is not something that we can just brush over, brush past. It has a place in, in Revelation and in, in the Revelation narrative, and it has a place in our story as well. And I hope that by the end of this that you see that these words are not words filled with doom and gloom, but actually words filled with a lot of hope uh, and mercy. And so before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll hit it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes tonight and open our ears to what you would have for us in Revelation. Just thank you for this opportunity uh, to be up here, Lord. Um, I just ask for wisdom and mercy, Lord. These are not my words, but your words. And that ultimately we would just remember that Revelation is a book of hope, a book of of your coming and the coming of your kingdom. Uh, Be with us tonight um, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear in your name. Amen. Now think about the purpose of an alarm clock. Uh, For most college students. Uh, they're not morning people. I was not a morning person in college. I would, if they did studies, I would wager that studies show that probably 99% of college students hate their alarm clock. That is the worst part of their day. But, I mean, what is the purpose? I mean, think about it. The alarm clock's purpose is pretty simple. It's to wake us up. And these are not new inventions. They've been around for a while. Uh, even Plato, the Greek philosopher, had this water clock that would play his water organ. I don't know what a water organ is, but every every morning at dawn to wake him up. Um, we need alarm clocks because there are things that we need to wake up for. There are things that we cannot miss. Um, and there are a lot of people, myself included, who will strategically set multiple alarm clocks and sometimes place multiple alarm clocks like around their room. I actually do this in order to make sure that I wake up in the morning because there are things that I can't miss, important things like... You don't want to miss a flight, you don't want to miss a doctor's appointment, you don't want to miss a test. Hopefully you don't want to miss class. Uh, They're really important things that we need to wake up for and there are consequences when we don't wake up for these things. I was talking with uh, a student not a week ago who had an 8 a.m. test, kind of slept in, accidentally missed his alarm, slept in a little bit, realized that he had overslept saw what time it was, threw himself out of his bed. This is like on a lofted bed. Wound up cutting his head on the back of a lamp and getting seven staples, not stitches, staples, in the, in the back of his head. I've seen the staples. This actually happened. And there are consequences. And there are things that we just need. This is a consequence. If you don't get up your alarm clock, you're going to get staples in the back of your head. So take this as a warning. But really, there are there, there are things that we need to wake up for. We need a wake-up call for important things in life. And the seven trumpets that we see here in Revelation tonight are a wake-up call. God is trying to wake us up. Why? But what is he trying to wake us up for? As we look at this passage tonight, we'll see that we are on a path of destruction. We are serving things, pursuing things, worshiping things. That, that can't satisfy us that are ultimately destroying us they're things that we weren't designed for we were designed to be in a relationship with the Lord and we are killing ourselves by pursuing these other things and the Lord is sending us a wake up call with these trumpets trumpets in the Old Testament served several purposes uh, one purpose was to call together a holy assembly another purpose was a trumpet would sound to declare a feast Another time a trumpet would sound to proclaim the enthronement of a new king. But most often, trumpets were blown to warn people. They were blown as a warning. And tonight, as we read this passage, the purposes of the trumpets are honestly not that different from the purposes of the trumpets in the Old Testament. The first purpose is that they're there to warn us. These trumpets issue a warning, and these are the three points. The second trumpet... Will issue a call, and the third is going to issue a proclamation. So, call, so warning, call, and proclamation. Let's look first at warning. Uh, look with me at verses 6-12 through 12 in chapter 8. And here we see the first four trumpets sounding, ushering a set of horrific plagues that parallel those we saw uh, last week in chapter 6. One trumpet blast and a third of the earth and all vegetation is destroyed, burned up by hail and fire mixed with blood. It's kind of weird. Second trumpet blast and a burning mountain is cast into the sea with a third of it turning to blood, killing a third of sea life and destroying a third of shipping. A third trumpet blast and the great star Wormwood, which means bitterness, falls from heaven and poisons a third of fresh water. A fourth trumpet blast and a third of all natural light, the sun, moon, and stars is darkened. These trumpets sound one thing and that is Judgment. And notice here the progression of these judgments. One is the earth and vegetation. Another one is shipping and and commerce, the economy. The next one is fresh water. And then last, just the light by which we see. In each trumpet blast, it cuts closer to the heart of what our perceived humanity is. It's really hitting at the things that we worship and the things that we put before God. Nature, health, wealth, warmth, comfort. I mean, the list... (coughs) The list goes on. And just as Jason shared last week with the SEALs, these judgments are not things to come. They will continue to come, but these are things that are happening right now among us. I mean, we don't have to look around very far to see that the world is literally burning around us. Not a week ago, a volcano erupted in Japan, killing a, a huge number of climbers. Wars are raging in Eastern Europe and in the Middle East. Um, I was a military history major in college, and there's a policy called scorched earth policy, and if you've studied any of the Civil War, you might know a little bit about scorched earth policy, but basically the army will just burn whatever is around it in order to prevent their enemy from using any of the potential resources. But these things aren't happening just across the globe. These things are happening right here. Rivers, lakes, streams are poisoned with waste and disease. I read in the DM not a week ago, that there is an advisory to boil your water in West Oxford. In Oxford, Mississippi, if you lived on campus last year, you know this, that they were telling you to boil your water if you were living on campus. I mean, these are things that are happening right here among us. These aren't happening in the, in the distant future or even across the world. These are ha- things that are happening right here on our very doorsteps. And judgment terrifies us. It terrifies me. And our knee-jerk reaction to judgment is that judgment is bad. I mean, we're thinking, how could God do this? Yet, despite anything that we would believe, judgment is actually really good news. And you're thinking, how in the world is judgment good news? What is good about judgment? Judgment says that God cares about us. Judgment says that we and our choices matter to God. Judgment says that God takes evil and sin very seriously. He is not indifferent about evil and sin. Judgment says God is moving against sin and evil in this world to restore the world to its natural order. Judgment says that God is making right what has been wrong for so long. And these trumpets and their effects show us that judgment is being worked out across the stages of human history. But note here that judgment is not total. This is not a full judgment. Only a third of everything is burned. Only a third of the sea is turned to blood. Only a third of light is knocked out. This is partial judgment. In other words, this is a warning. The trumpets are warning us. God is shouting at us, wake up. You are not, you are headed down a path that will only only destroy you. Please wake up and open your eyes, and I, God, possess all that you could ever want or need. Don't remain content to bring this judgment upon yourself. I don't know how many of you have ever been uh, pulled over for speeding, and actually not given a speeding ticket, but giving a warning. Um, This has happened to me before, And I was clearly in the wrong. I deserved a ticket, but the officer who has the power to dispense a measure of judgment on me—whether that's, you know, some kind of fine, ticket, or depending how fast I'm going to revoke my license—instead gave me a warning. And the warning basically says, without saying it, that if my behavior persists, if my speeding persists, then there will be consequences, and there will be judgment. A warning is not judgment. It may signal that judgment is coming, but a warning is mercy. We deserve judgment. We do. Mankind has turned from God in our natural design. We worship and serve things and pervert ourselves on anything other than God. We look for things that we think will bring us life, whether that's beauty, social status, uh, affluence. I mean, the list goes on, but these are things I see a lot of old Miss. And we are running headfirst into judgment, but God is giving us a warning. He is giving us mercy. And He warns us that if He warns us to look and see that judgment is coming, our own destruction is coming, and that judgment is real. It is not a metaphor for depression or some kind of internal struggle. This is real judgment that is coming if we don't wake up. Something is wrong with us and something is wrong with this world. And these trumpets are sounding, warning us like an alarm clock warning us that on our current trajectory, we are headed for danger and destruction. But the trumpets also issue a call, a calling for us to move from the path that we're on, from a path of judgment into a better path, a path of life, a path of the Lord, a path that really the Lord is calling to that can give us full life. So that's the second point, the call. And let's examine the call. Well, you we looked at the first four trumpets. Now we're going to look at the next two, trumpets 5 and 6, and we're really going to look at trumpet 5, and this is in chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 11. So look with me at chapter 9, 1 through 11. And the fifth trumpet sounds, and this star falls from heaven and opens up this bottomless pit, or this abyss, and releases these locusts out onto the earth. And the Old Testament culture, locusts were associated with a day of the Lord. In other words, locusts were associated with a day of judgment. Again, God is warning us, wake up. This is a warning. You are headed for judgment. Wake up from your spiritual apathy and idolatry and see your need for me. But note what these locusts do. They don't kill and they don't destroy the earth. They torment humanity. They torment humanity to the point where people literally desire death, but, but death doesn't come to them. And These locusts are, are kind of twisted and weird-looking right, but honestly, look really closely, really at verses seven through nine, and you see there's a lot of appealing things that the locusts have that are drawing us in. They have crowns of gold. These are symbols of, of wealth, symbols of power, symbols of status. They have human faces and women's hair. These are symbols of beauty, physical beauty and allure. They have teeth like lions' teeth. They have a real way with words. there's a power in their words. Breastplate of iron, this is some kind of security, maybe a false security from the worries of the world and the cares of others. They have powerful wings, maybe physical prowess. These are all things that all of us desire in one capacity or another, and they're things that we run after, and they're honestly things that captivate us. But now look at the next verse, at verse 10. It says, they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people is in their tails. Despite, despite all the alluring features that these locusts offer us, all of these things, they ultimately, they ultimately sting us. These things that we love and these things that we run after ultimately become the source of our greatest torment. And they torment us really to the point where we desire death. And is this not true for us here on this campus and not true that old miss? I mean, think about what, what are the things that are on this locus that are, that are alluring you, that are pulling you in. But what are your crowns of gold tonight? Where are you finding your worth? Is it in wealth? In, in the wealth of your family, do you come from affluence and that is where you find your worth or that you're going to go and plan on making a lot of money one day? Is that where you're finding your worth? Or maybe it's in status. You're somebody on this campus, you're somebody in your fraternity or sorority, you're somebody within RUF, and you're finding your worth in the fact that people know you and that you're somebody. Or maybe it's physical physical beauty. You're finding your worth in how you look physically and your physical beauty, and you're willing to sacrifice your health for something as fleeting as physical beauty, or maybe you're tormented by the fact that there's always somebody who's better looking than you and prettier than you. Maybe we're finding, trying to find our worth in security, or maybe it's our insecurity, and we're just grasping at things that we think will provide us with real security. Maybe it's the things that we listed, status, wealth, beauty. Maybe we're, just, we're afraid to take risks. We're afraid to put ourselves out there for fear of rejection. We're just trying to to keep ourselves safe in this bubble. We're afraid to just be ourselves amongst our friends in our fraternity or sorority for fear of losing face in these places. And these are not bad things, y'all. These are good things that the Lord wants to give us within the proper context of His love and His goodness. But when these are the things that we pursue, above all other things, they ultimately become the source of our greatest torment. And what's the purpose of this torment? This torment is meant to call us to repentance. i look at verses 20 and 21. And it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Again, this is not a turn or burn sermon. Those kind of sermons, turn or burn sermons, have created a lot of confusion and a lot of bitterness over what repentance actually is. Repentance is not the product of some scared, straight sermon. And repentance is not made to move us to legalism or moralism or rule following. Repentance is turning, turning from death to life. Repentance is abandoning death and choosing life. It is leaving suffering and leaving torment and leaving behind the things of this world in order to run to the source of all life and joy and security and love. That is found in Jesus Christ. Repentance is simply going back to our original design. However, torment and suffering alone, while they call us to repentance, cannot actually move us to repentance. Some of you might know uh, Charles Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol. Fun fact: In eighth grade, in middle school, I was actually in a Christmas Carol musical. This is, this is true. You can ask me about it sometime. Weird, I'll tell you all kinds of weird middle school Graham stories. Um, but if you know the story of A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, the main character, is this, this crotchety old miser. He's a cheapskate. I mean, the word generosity isn't even in his vocabulary. And on Christmas Eve, he's visited by a series of spirits. And so the ghost of Jacob Marley, which was, which was my character, had a solo. It was... It was a big deal um, in eighth grade. The ghost of, of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present. And if you know the story, the last and most, most haunting and most unsettling of all the characters is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And just imagine here the Grim Reaper kind of crossed with a, with a Dementor from Harry Potter um, with like the robe and the hood and the cloak and everything. And, that, and that's what you get here. And that's the visitor that is visiting Scrooge. And so the ghost of Christmas yet to come it takes Scrooge on, on to see all the, he's showing them all these visions. And these, these really bizarre, unsettling visions of, of a bed with a corpse in it, or like a couple who are really celebrating and rejoicing over the death of this man whom they owe a lot of money to. Uh, and Scrooge the whole time is seeing these visions and doesn't realize that these visions are about him and he's the dead man. And then in the, in the final vision, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, Takes Scrooge uh, to the cemetery, and he's got this long, you know, creepy, dementor, bony finger, and he's pointing at this headstone. And it's not like a headstone, like a vertical headstone. It's like one that lays kind of horizontal on the ground. And he's pointing at it, implying that he wants Scrooge to read the name that is on this headstone. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's implying that he wants Scrooge to read the name that is on this headstone. And Scrooge doesn't want to read it. Scrooge is, is, is very hesitant. He doesn't want to read it. He's freaking out. There's this hooded ghost guy show, taking him in a cemetery. But he eventually reads the name on the headstone. As he reads his name, Ebenezer Scrooge, he becomes completely undone. He becomes completely unglued and starts crying out and screaming. actually gets down on his knees and grabs the cloak of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And shouts at him, why, why would you show me these things if I'm past all hope? Why would God show us these visions of trumpets and judgment if we are past all hope? Why show us these images and visions of suffering and torment if they cannot lead us to true repentance? Why show us these things if we are past all hope? Because we're not past all hope. Hope comes in the proclamation of a new king. It comes in a power that's greater, a power that has the ability and the capacity to move us to repentance. So let's look at the final point, the proclamation. Look with me at chapter uh, 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world, excuse me, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The king has come. He has come right here in this passage. By this seventh trumpet, Christ has proclaimed his king and his kingdom is coming here on this earth and is going to reign forever and ever. And now if we look down at the next couple verses, we see these 24 elders. And as we've talked about in this course, in this study of Revelation, the 24 elders represent the complete people of God from the beginning of time to the end of time and they're falling down on their knees singing, praising and worshiping God and it's because the seventh trumpet has blown the seventh trumpet has been the answer to all of their prayers I mean think about it if you've gone to church for any significant length of time there's one prayer that you've heard or said every time that you've gone and it's the Lord's prayer And if you know the prayer, think about what it says. Think about the first couple lines. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This prayer that God's people have been praying for centuries and centuries is answered right here in the seventh trumpet. And if we look back at the beginning of verse 8, this is not on your handout, but if you have your Bible or a phone, you can look back at the beginning of verse 8 before the trumpets are blown and we see this image of an angel of, an of an angel standing before the altar of God holding this golden censer filled uh, with incense. And a censer is this device where you have hot coals and you pour, what you do is you pour incense over the hot coals and it creates this really sweet smelling smoke. You might see this in really old Orthodox churches with the priest swinging this golden thing back and forth and smoke coming out. That's, that's a censer. And this smoke that is coming out is meant to be the prayers, it symbolizes the prayers of God's people rising up to heaven, rising up to God. And this angel in this passage is holding this censer and then what he does with it is he takes it and he casts it down to earth, he throws it down to earth. Why? Because God is answering these prayers right here. When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we're not praying for it to come in heaven. (laughs) We're praying for it to come to earth. And God is bringing, is physically bringing these prayers to earth. God is saying, I've heard your prayers and I'm making them a reality. The things that you've prayed for for centuries and centuries are now finally coming to pass. And if we're asking the question that Scrooge was asking tonight, why show us as if we're beyond all hope? This is the good news. Now we are not beyond all hope. The proclamation of the king is your hope. Look now at the first half of the last verse on your handout. This is verse eleven nineteen. 19. God opens the temple in heaven, and we see the ark of his covenant within. On top of the ark of the covenant was this place in the Old Testament uh, where it was said that the Spirit of God, or the Lord, was said to reside. Like his, physical pre- his presence resided on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And this place was called the Mercy Seat. And mercy is the answer. Mercy is the means by which Jesus is coming to rescue us. Mercy is the means that moves us to repentance. It, mercy alone has the power to bring us to repentance, to turn us from death to life. And God is a God of mercy. He resides On the mercy seat, and he wants to give you mercy. So, can you hear the trumpets tonight? They're sounding right now, warning us, calling us, proclaiming that Jesus has come. And we are on a road to destruction. We love the things that hurt us, and we are running after what will only destroy us. But Jesus is coming. And we see that here. He has heard the prayers of his people. He loves you. And he offers you mercy. So come to the king tonight. Come experience love and mercy instead of judgment. Come and sit with Jesus at the mercy seat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you provide a way for us to, Lord, turn from death to life. I pray that in this, in this passage tonight that you move in us, Lord, and you allow us to see this mercy. You allow us to see and be captivated by your kingdom, Lord, rather than captivated by these things that we are running after that are us, tormenting us. Let let us hear these trumpets tonight and let them wake us up, Lord, and turn to you and turn to love and mercy and satisfaction that we we can never imagine, Lord, but is only known in you. Thank you for all these things, Lord. In your name, amen.